0: Luke fifteen one through 32 Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he had got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life, he was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So
1: well, this morning we have a very familiar story—the story of the lost son, the story of the prodigal son—one we've heard uh, many, many times, uh, and I'm, you've heard it many times because it's—it's it's one of those stories that just lends itself to great preaching you know it's got it's chuck full of uh, all that good stuff you got this son who's caught up in sinfulness he he leaves the warmth and comfort of his home and he takes the gifts of his father in and the the image that's painted here is basically when, when in Jesus' day, if someone went to their father and said, give me the inheritance that I would get after you die, give me my part of the estate, it's basically saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so that I could get all that money. And that's what this son does, and then he runs off and he whine women in song and just whoops it up until all the money's gone. Uh, like this guy in Wisconsin who just won the lottery. You watch, in a couple of years, it'll all be gone. <laughs> right? Uh, he does that and then finds himself destitute out in the streets, slopping the pigs, which in, you know, these are good Jewish folks here telling this story. To be slopping the pigs was not only, uh, was not only disgusting work, But it made you unclean, unfit to be seen in polite society. Uh, That's how desperate this young man was. And finally, he the Bible says he comes to himself and he goes back to his father. And his father, who sees him from a long ways off, instead of... Uh, instead of punishing him or even making him one of his servants, instead of looking at him with indignance, he comes running after him and loves on him. And this is a this is another image that we have in Jesus's day. You remember they all wore those long tunics, uh, and so you have to picture this this dad in order to run. It was, he has to scoop up. All of his dress and his outer tunic and his cloak and all that. And he has to kind of run holding that stuff. And it's a bit of a ridiculous thing. It's a very undignified... You know, this is a man with a large estate. All of his servants are watching him run like an undignified guy after his son. He doesn't even care about his dignity. And he just, he just lavishes his love on the son. What a great story! And, and what a great story that called you know I, I could go a lot of directions with this I could focus in on the son and, and preach a, 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 a sermon about as a call to repentance stop living it up out there with wine women and song and wasting the gifts of God turn to Jesus today and come back to the father and be embraced in love right that would be a good one some of you need that once in a while amen <laughs> you know who you are Right? I could focus in on the older brother. That's the other part of the story. The older brother comes home and sees all this partying going on and says, what's happened here? Oh, your son, your brother's come home and your dad's throwing him a big party and giving him all kinds of gifts and stuff like that. Well, he's a little indignant. Oh, really? Great. (laughs) And he goes to his dad. Hey, I've done everything you've asked. I've never... I've never done anything wrong. I've never sassed back at you. I've never uh, left the house. I did all my chores exactly the way you asked them to. I've been here with you while this guy traipses all over the countryside. you've never even given me a goat for my friends. Well, you know, and I could have focused in on this, this indignant son and point out that sometimes we behave this way. Sometimes we kinda of want to hold Jesus to ourselves. We don't wanna you know we don't want to share all of that. We want we worked hard to get here. Right? We don't want that cheap grace scattered around to any Tom, Dick, and Harry that comes through the door. We don't want of that cheap grace. Hang on to that, right? Sometimes we act that way and I could I could scold you and say they shouldn't be like that. Jesus wants us to be like the Father. And throw our arms wide and be gracious and compassionate and forgiving i could preach about that i could preach about the father and the love of the father this extravagant love sure he could be upset lord knows my father would right my (laughs) father i would get a very big dressing down and a threat of his boot in my butt that was one of his sayings you want me to plant my boot in your butt I didn't quite, as a child, I didn't understand how that worked. I had like planting, you know, corn or something in my head. I didn't quite understand that he meant he was going to kick me in the rear. (laughs) But, you know, that's the kind of response I would have gotten from my father. But God is different. God is filled with love and compassion. And no matter where we come from, we can come back to the Father and the Father will greet us with open arms and embrace us with love. I could, I could preach about that. I could preach about the, the love of family, how important family really is and, and what kind of familial ties we have. I could tap into my liberal theology and wonder, hey, what, what about the servants? No one talks about the servants in this story. What about those poor slobs? Who not only have to schlep everything around day by day, but then here comes this no good for nothing son and they have to go put together a party for him uh, on top of all their other duties. Who's thinking about the servants? Or I could focus in, uh, I could tap into my feminist theology and wonder, oh, why not two sisters? huh? <laughs> what about the sisters? No one ever brings up the sisters or the mom or any those kinds of things. I could tap into that. I, I mean, there's a lot of directions. We could go with, I could, uh, you know, we could go with this whole, this whole story and wonder what it, it, so it's just so rich. But you know what? I've been, I've been thinking lately. I, this story plays prominently in my uh, doctoral work that I'm doing in Berkeley, I don't know if all of you know this, but I've, I've been part of a. I'm in a doctoral program at the American Baptist Seminary of the West in Berkeley, uh, so I fly there every once in a while and go take classes and things like that. And and uh, I've been I've been focusing. This story kind of is a centerpiece in my uh, in my work. My public theology work and my dissertation work and it and it really is about I want to reimagine this story a little bit to match uh, to be a parable that matches kind of what I see in the world today I want to imagine this story that the son that the son doesn't go to a loving father and say I'm tired of this place I want out of here and take off but imagine maybe the son, uh, maybe the son was rejected by the family. Maybe that older brother rejected him and said, you are good for nothing. Get out of here. Maybe the father didn't come off as loving. And the son felt rejected by the father. And, and all he was looking for was acceptance for who he is. And, and maybe the father said, no, you know what? <laughs> Unless you come around, you're done. Maybe he was so abused he he had to go. He fled for his life. Maybe it was not the loving family that's painted here. May imagine a son in a family where he was not loved, where he was not affirmed, where he's not supported, where he was not taken care of. And so he's either kicked out on the streets like these kids who eat our lunches. Some of them have been kicked out of their houses for whatever, for a lot of different reasons. And they're left to their own devices out on the streets. Imagine that this story is about that. And instead of having the means and the wherewithal to engage in, uh, you know, wine, women, and song, they're just stuck out there trying to find their way, slopping pigs or whatever else it takes to get by. Just kind of floundering along without direction, without help. And then imagine that there is a different family, another family that opens up their doors and sees this son a long way off, sees this, this kid out there, wandering, floundering, not finding his way. And the father scoops up his dress again and goes running after him, and says, Hey! What are you doing? Come inside. Come over here. I know that that other family rejected you. We want to embrace you. Come in here. We have room for you. We need a son just like you. We need someone and and this family adopts this son, puts a robe on him, gives him a ring, makes him feel affirmed and wanted and loved and supported. Gives them dignity and a place at the table and responsibility and becomes part of the family. Finds a new space to be in, a new family, a new love. This is where we are today in the world we live in. There are a lot of people, I don't know if you're reading the same statistics I am, but people are... Running away from faith, from faith communities, from church, from, from everything in droves. Particularly Christianity, particularly mainline Christianity like our kind of church. But even among the evangelical churches, even the, the Joel Alstein kind of folks are running away. Even, even the, the, the purpose-driven church people are walking away from those evangelical churches as well. All churches, people are walking away. And it, it, some of it is a lot of different reasons. Some of it is just that they, you know, some of it, they're getting kicked out. A lot of churches, if if I were gay, I'm not welcome. I'm out of there. Uh, a lot of churches, and it's not just, you know, f- for me, this is a particular passionate issue, and I... I uh, I see this happening particularly here in Salt Lake City it's such a it's such a an occasion it's such a uh, not an odd story that someone finds themselves to be gay or transgendered or or gender fluid or or lesbian and they tell people in their church and at some and maybe they are okay with them but it's not in the teachings of that particular religion and or sometimes it is the death knell and they're kicked out but eventually they're shoved out they don't feel they either don't feel a part of it or they're not but it's not just the lgbtq plus community that's experiencing this you know women who are told that their leadership or their their direction to the ministry is not welcome, is not valued. That they have a different place in the kingdom of God, or or just many of us who feel like the church and its focus on their, its own uh, its own desires, its own needs, or the 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 notion that. You know, you need to focus in on this being the only thing that people do. That turns folks off and they, they walk away. Because there's something inside of us that says, wait a minute. This does not reflect the values that God has put in my heart. This doesn't reflect the relationship that I have with God. And people are walking away from church because the church has abandoned the gospel as we have come to know and love it in our heart of hearts. Uh, it's become something else. It's become something that doesn't resemble what Jesus was about. Or what our own experiences are about. Others have walked away because, uh, because the, the Sunday school answers just aren't working. And when they, And when they bring that up, people say, well, you just need to have more faith. The problem is you. The problem is the way you think and the way you feel. The problem is your faith is wrong. Something's wrong with you. And they kind of go, wait a minute, you know, I'm doing everything I can. What do you mean the problems with me? If I just give more money, then all things will work out. If I just pray more, if I keep doing, you know, all this kind of, if I just do this and this and this, and they have this long laundry list of things to do, then everything's going to be okay. That's not my experience. And so the narrative of the church doesn't match our own faith experiences. So of course we're going to walk away. There's too many better things to do on a Sunday morning. And so where does that leave us? It leaves us that this place, the calling of the Christian church and the calling of First Baptist Church in particular is to be a space of healing. Amen? It's to be a place of wide open arms that says oh wait a minute really have you been kicked out well this is the place for you have you been forced out by the way people are treating you then this is the place for you have you been have you have you left because of the crazy things you're hearing then this is where you belong you fit right in how many how many people here and i raise your hands if you're comfortable." But how many here have left the faith of their childhood because either they were rejected or because they've rejected all the craziness and have come here instead and experienced something completely different? So many of us, right? So many of us have said, wait a minute, this isn't what I want, but this is something else altogether. And so this is what my... Project is focused in is can we the church be a place where we heal from the harm that church has done it's kind of a weird question can the one can the place that has can the the institution that has per- perpetrated so much harm be the agent of healing and my answer to that is yes because i see it here at first baptist church and I think it is indeed our calling to be that home, to be that father who runs out and embraces the lost son and says, "Come, you are welcome here. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Let's make you a, you know let's let's embrace you and be affirmed, and be a supported, and be loved and and we will allow, and and so what do we got to do as a church to? to embrace this, this new calling that this is not a new calling, but this calling of healing, this calling of safety, this calling of being a space where people can reclaim their faith on their own terms and re it in their own way. And I would say the first thing is that we need to be true to our Baptist freedoms. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, come to my class after church. <laughs> it's a little shameless plug. Come to the class after church and I'll explain the history of the Baptist freedoms, but basically these these freedoms of soul liberty, of of church liberty, of of religious liberty, and of of uh, uh, Bible liberty, Bible freedom—all of those freedoms that allow us to that makes us a non creedal church. And by that I mean we don't have a box that you have to f- adhere to. We don't have a list of things that you have to buy into in order to be a part of us, but we all work together to try and articulate and figure out our faith ourselves, but together. And we sharpen one, as Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's, that's us together. As you wrestle with your faith and I wrestle with my faith and we share that together, something comes out of it. But what it means is we've got to let those boxes fall open. We've got we've to not get nervous when people have different ideas or have a different way of seeing the Gospel or have a different way of embracing who Jesus is for them or even have a whole different concept of what faith looks like. We've got to just calm down and be comfortable and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. And those four freedoms, you know, Baptists, I believe, were made for a time such as this because we have built into our system the freedom to articulate and live out our, the ministry as we see it as a congregation. Amen? So embrace it. And the other thing is that we've, we've got to go looking for it. We've got to say to ourselves, how do we take this incredible thing we experience here, this love, this, this, uh, this affirmation, this support, this compassion. How do we take this from where we are now and get out there into the world in a way that heals people from the harm that the church has done in the name of Jesus? How do we heal? Not just here in this sanctuary, because I don't know if you can tell, but there's a lot of room here. Yet there's not—you the, know—the place is not full. Uh, we've got a lot of space. There's a lot of space in between the people. Uh, you know, when we're all crowded in here, then maybe we can talk about our our work being in here. But until then, until people are kind of elbow to elbow, our work is out there. Amen. Somehow we've got to figure out how to take that. Message of healing, that message of love that we've got to go running out to that son who is far off. Far off. Bring them in. Not just bring them into the church, but bring them into the love that God has for them because there is something healing about it. I've seen it over and over again in many of you. There's something healing about taking the good stuff that you had when you were a kid and letting go of all the bad stuff and say, I'm not going to be a victim to that kind of theology, that kind of Jesus, that kind of God anymore. I'm going to embrace a Jesus who loves me, who affirms me. And articulating that faith for yourself. Oh, it's so freeing. It gives you wings so you can fly. Amen? It's so free. And... It's imperative. It is. It is crucial. It is urgent that the Christian Church and First Baptist, in particular, embrace this mission because our people are out there. They're the ones who have walked away. Those are our people, the ones who have said, "I don't belong here anymore." It's up to us to say, "Oh yes, you do. (laughs) Oh yes, you do." Let us pray.
0: Loving and gracious God, we
1: we hear this message that's so familiar, this story, and help us to reimagine it in a as a parable of today and to see how all of that plays out in the world around us. And may we embrace this mission you have given us, a mission of healing, a mission of love and support and of affirmation, that your church might be full, that the body might be whole, that Heaven might be filled with those who have experienced your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray.